Welcome to The Bias, where we talk about the story before it prints out. I'm Arno. I'm Isoke. And today we have a guest who will come very soon. But first, we are going to talk about what happened in Northwesterns. The Bias. Last week, the Daily Student Newspaper of Northwestern published a story about Jeff Sessions, like a protest against Jeff Sessions being on campus. And they published photos of the protesters. And the protest, I think, was not declared or was not really... Students were risking disciplinary action for protesting. And um, they got probably a lot of DMs from those protesters saying they were put in danger from uh, being in those photos and... Um, being reported on this way and they also so they they published an editorial saying that they were sorry for publishing those photos that could identify students um, but also uh, that they used the they, they used the, the sort of white pages of the university to get the students contact and they DM'd people like they took, texted uh, students directly and some people felt invaded by that um, but they got a lot of backlash from Sort of like okay boomers of <laughs> journalism <laughs> being like, well, you'll see when you'll be on your first like men on the street and you'll know like this is the hard way. This is like how it is. And this is journalism and da 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 da. And like there's this tendency in the report uh, to like misrepresent the issue and like just say that, oh, they were offended. Like this, the students were offended. No, they were risking disciplinary actions and this, the paper was potentially like, Um, encouraging disciplinary action against those students by revealing their identities. Yeah, I think there was also um, an element of uh, many of the students feeling traumatized by what was written, but also the photographs that were taken, which, you know, the editor of the paper elaborated by saying that, like, you know, he's one of the first black editors of the newspaper, and so he's balancing um, how to properly represent his community um, and run the paper properly while also understanding how to run a publication in an academic setting. Um, So facing all of those challenges um, and figuring out how to navigate those spaces properly. You know, I think a huge part of the debate was sort of as journalists, like it's our duty to ask hard questions, to make people uncomfortable sometimes um, because we're in pursuit of the story. And I think that that argument is valid. It's what All of us, I think, in journalism schools across the country are being taught to do. But I think another thing that we're being taught to do is to question the way that journalism works. And I think that that's something that the students at Northwestern were doing, really considering what it means to be a journalist and how maybe we need to be reframing that. Yeah, and I think this was one of the few, like, so there was those, like, horrible reactions that were just, like, you know, like, you have to be heartless and just a journalist and do your job and, like, not care about anyone's feelings and whatever. But then you had, like, people who actually sort of read what was going on and, like, learned a little bit what was going on and so put the nuance of the, like, the fact that this could expose the students to disciplinary action. But also a lot of, of the arguments were, this is student journalism. This is the space for people to try things up and to also change the way we see journalism and we do journalism. And I do feel like there's this effort being made right now to have more sensitive journalism and is really sort of challenging a lot of these ideas of like what we should do as journalists like I feel like a lot of what we should do has been aligned with a lot of things that 
like what we can do. Um, and I think a lot of what those people are doing is sort of challenging that what we can do sometimes can play into things that are bigger than us and that um, it's not just because we are journalists that we are removed from those things and that we are not participating in it. And I think like the argument that student journalism is a sandbox of um, new discussions in journalism is, I think, a really interesting argument too. Yeah, I agree. Um, just to elaborate a little bit, I um, brought one of the codes of ethics um, from SPJ because I thought it was really important. It's something that um, I've had to study um, just being in J school. And um, one of the codes of ethics is to minimize harm. So I'm just going to read um, the first two um, bullet points. So um, ethical journalism treats sources, subjects, colleagues, and members of the public as human beings deserving of respect. Journalism should balance the public's need for information against potential harm or discomfort. Pursuit of the news is not a license for arrogance or undue intrusiveness. Show compassion for those who may be affected by news coverage. Use heightened sensitivity when dealing with juveniles, victims of sex crimes, and sources or subjects who are, inex who are inexperienced or unable to give consent. Consider cultural differences in approach and treatment. So for me, this is like honestly the epitome of what they, uh, what, what Northwestern students were trying to do. Um, it's incredibly hard to balance um, all of the things that we want to do as reporters. Of course, we're obligated to ask um, everyone to comment and to give them the opportunity to share their stories because you never, you can't just assume that because something is difficult to talk about that people don't want to talk about it. Um, but if your sources then come back to you and say, um, what you said or the way you reported on this was traumatic for me, um, is it our, should we ignore it? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, and I had this discussion earlier um, last week. Um, I think there's there's a lot of arguments to be made like in terms of relying on like traditional journalistic ethics and trying to expand those things and make it like put it more into the forefront of this discussion of like harm and considering harm. But I think what's interesting also is to move beyond that and extend this uh, thing to be like, it's not just being a professional journalist. It's also talking about the politics of journalism and talking about the ways in which journalism can be racist, transphobic, sexist, all these things. I think this is a discussion that's not fully there yet. That's like harder to be like seen as legitimate in the discussion. Um, so I think advancing those arguments under uh, the argument of journalistic like professionalism and all these things are important, but I think I also want to pair it up with like um, like adding a new sort of factor into our discussions about the ways we as journalists are playing into some politics. A lot of this discussion um, around what happened at Northwestern, I think, took a turn towards um, figuring out um, where journalism and activism come together. Um, we're always told that journalis journalism and activism are separate. Um, but is there a space where journalists can be activists and is there a space where activists can be journalists? Um, I think that's what some of what we're going to talk about today with our guest. Mm -hmm. And also how like photojournalists relate to activists and how um, in a context of potentially repression of activists, how photojournalists interact with um, reporting on activism. Me, of you, as the light 
today we have the pleasure of speaking with a really amazing guest, um, a photographer who we're really excited to have. So um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, give us your name, your pronouns, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Hey there, it's such a um, pleasure to be here. My name is Avery and I go by she, her. Um, I am a storyteller, an artist, an activist, and um, one of the avenues for my storytelling and activism is journalism. Um, I'm also a street photographer and a portrait artist. I entered into journalism as a rogue activist at Standing Rock, actually, um, and it's been at times a really um, painful and um, complicated course towards journalism because I didn't have some very practical tools. So the reason we got you on the podcast is because we found out about this class you were teaching at May Day. So it's a class about photojournalism and social justice. And so can you tell us more about the history of that class? Yeah, I proposed the class to Mayday Space. Um, Josh Carrera is an amazing events and course coordinator uh, for the space, and it's in my neighborhood. And I've been trying to consider ways that I can really integrate into my neighborhood and be of service to my neighborhood, which is Bushwick. And um, so we offered the class at a sliding scale from uh, $15 to, I think it was like 120 bucks for an eight-week course um, with a priority towards people of color, people in frontline communities, um, and long-standing Bushwick residents. Mayday Space and I really wanted to start giving people um, the logistical tools and the practical tools to document their own communities. A lot of the exercises were street photography exercises because I started off as a street photographer and that's given me a lot of practice at uh, initiating strong connections with strangers um, in public in vulnerable ways that are that like I've learned how to maintain an authentic connection with a stranger um, from years of walking up to strangers. And so I had my students go out a lot and take pictures of strangers, and I think that was an especially hard exercise for them because, you know, the social anxiety, um, but also the socio-political um, context that we're always operating in. And if you're a very aware person of that, you know, there's just like all this angst that surfaces about, you know, race relations, socioeconomic relations. Um, and so uh, I think that it was an uncomfortable experience for everyone. And that's a good sign because it means that they're like really pushing through and thinking about um, how they want to tell stories and in what terms and um, at what pace. So did you have a conversation about that? Did you, how did you like prepare them for that or debrief it with them? So we talked about, um, Photographers who have exploited their subjects and then photographers who have um, also been catalysts for social uh, change. And so we looked at one of the exercises we did in class was learning how to like really look at images with a critical eye and ask questions instead of just take it for what it is. Looking at what are the different implications and how could this be received and how potent is it and why and like does it benefit society? Did that person have agency in that picture? Um, at what angle was the person photographed? What? How does that situate them in terms of power and the dynamic between them and the photographer? 
Um, and so we started off also, you know, just very basic things like what's the composition of this photograph? Is it successful? Do you like the light? Um, because, you know, the tricky part about uh, photojournalism is you have to have this harmony between beauty and symmetry and light and focus and composition, which are things that innately as human beings allow us to engage with an image successfully or not. Um, but also you have to have like a really strong narrative and an attempt at an authentic expression. There's a, photo a photo of a little girl at the border um, looking up at her mother and a border patrol agent crying. Um, and we can't see the any context besides that. Um, there's also um, a very famous photo of a mother running from the border, kind of a chaotic war-like zone um, with her two children. And so um, everyone, we had kind of a discussion about, like, was this photo necessary? Was this a fair photo to take? Because there clearly wasn't any consent in this moment. And did it earn the, its right to violate the subject for the greater good of this movement? Or was it, you know, is consent always necessary? Um which is, is not a very easy question. Yeah, that's not easy at all. Um, and I think it's actually, um, you know, something that we run into in the written form, but also just so much more in photojournalism. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'd love to know what your thoughts on are on that and how you approach um, deciding whether the situation warrants consent or if it's so important to capture the image that you just do it. I think... Any photographer who's really tapped into uh, social justice has this deep, nagging fear that our camera is like a tool of colonialism and consumption and violence. It's a violent tool. You know, it's not like I'm like at home in my studio painting a portrait of someone in my imagination. I have to go out and take something from people so that I can express myself. And... So the question is not can it be ethical or not, in my opinion, because I think it's inherently always problematic, even when there's consent. There's a power dynamic, and I notice that when I go on these stories and I tell people I'm working for some major publication, and all of a sudden there's a power dynamic. And I, I feel the shift happen. You know, when people find out I'm a journalist, there's a shift in the dynamic. Um, the camera physically, there's a power dynamic between me and the subject. And I've been on the receiving end of having my photo taken, and it's extremely vulnerable. So I think the middle ground for me is I started off in kind of an extreme situation, which was the front lines of Standing Rock, which for those of you who may not know, um, Standing Rock was this massive movement of indigenous indigenous groups from all over the world showed up, but particularly North American indigenous tribes showed up in solidarity with the Sioux uh, tribe to um, resist an oil pipeline being put through their sacred land. And there was a considerable amount of police brutality and, um, it, like, war zone violence against these unarmed Native people. And I was one of the few people I showed up. I was there early, and I was there before there was much press. And I was one of the few people with a camera on the front lines and so uh, this, you know, 
the speed of these things unfolding was manic. And I was capturing pictures and my adrenaline was through the roof and I was publishing things. And, you know, in retrospect, I, th- I think I would have gone about it a lot differently and perhaps really slowed down and maybe not been the person reporting on um, – like some of the things that were unfolding because I heard rumors and and I ha- I'm not sure if this is true but I did hear rumors of people being retroactively um in legal trouble because photos had surfaced in major publications of them at the front lines it was evidence that they were there um and so there's it's very tricky legally and photographing protests is something that I've really shied away from for that reason. Or if I do, it's like portraits, 100% has to be consent. I have their contact info. I send them the photo before I send it in, which is pretty taboo in journalism. Um, But I don't care. Um, I send them their quote before I use it. And I'm like, are we good on this? You know, because to me, it's just not worth putting people in extreme danger um, for the story. I report on a lot of indigenous tribes around the United States. And I've, and like, frankly, indigenous people in this country really don't trust journal journalists and for good reason. You know, there's been a long history of exploitation there. And I showed up to, um, I was invited by one tribe to this gathering of multiple tribes. Um, they asked me to come do a story about it. And um, someone from another tribe who's, she's, a, she's our generation. And, um, she was like, look, we really don't need white people here telling this story. Thank you. Like, couldn't Vice have sent a Native American person to come tell this story or like asked us to do it? I was doing a story for Vice. And I just remember like, man, that was one of those moments where I really, oof, it was humbling. It really hurt uh, my—I was so embarrassed and horrified that I had just assumed I should be the one to tell this story um, and that I had, you know, just waltzed into this situation without really taking the time to earn. I really believe that you have to earn the story as as a journalist. to the MoMA PS1 yesterday and they have this exhibition about the Gulf Wars and how media played into militarizing the sort of discourse around Iraq and um, especially in the 90s when they invaded Kuwait and the US uh, invaded Kuwait and liberated Kuwait and like there was this a lot of talk about a clean war and like a surgical operation and there was this sort of impression that there was it was like clean and no one was dead and all these things and there was not a lot of images of it and so like i like i feel that proposition a lot about like being careful about the ways we disrespect and all these things that i'm but i'm also wondering in the ways in which sometimes this has served also to show a sort of sanitized version of what's happening and that's like something that forces us to go against considering sometimes people's consent, which is really scary, I think. Um, But yeah, like I remember uh, some of our professors showing us like 
a picture of a dead suicide bomber in, I think, I believe it was in Iraq. Um, and I really wondered whether he should have taken that picture. Um, it was like a picture of someone in a black bag and you could see his face like he was sleeping. Uh, but you could tell there was something weird about it because it was just disconnected from the rest of the body. Um, and I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there's, yeah, there's both a sanitization that plays into a discourse of clean and surgical war and serves, serves to sort of de disconnect the public from the war they're waging. Um, but at the same time, you are also allowing yourself to take those pictures because those lives are worthless in some ways. So there's also like a disposability of those people that you can take in picture and you can degrade every day. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. to do with this. You know, I was on the subway one time in Oakland and I took a picture without asking and I was I was near Berkeley, and Berkeley don't play. Like, they're very—I um, mean, that's where a lot of revolution has come from, Berkeley um, and Oakland. And a woman said to me, you should always ask. Like, yo, you didn't ask to take those people's picture. She was, like, kind of policing me. She noticed that I had taken a picture of somebody else. And I remember, like, feeling—of course, the first thing was shame. Like, she's right. But then I also was kind of pondering, you know, where would we be in history had— all of, the, you know, the history, the people who are capturing history, had they been paralyzed by that um, moral standard um, or, like, adhered to that moral standard, I should say, um, where would we be? Would, like, what progress, you know, the civil rights movement photography in some ways was crucial to that movement. And so I don't think that there's a straightforward answer on on that, you know, like, when and when not to take. Um, and... And as a result, I've really shied away. I've decided, okay, my domain is going to be relatively, like, easy to always have consent type stories, you know, because at least I don't have to, like, um, negotiate because I don't, I don't feel that I have the skill set quite yet to negotiate that kind of high stakes um, storytelling, frankly. I feel like this is also maybe because we're restricting our conversation to just the photo, but like in a lot of, in some cases, I feel the situ the the question is solved by the relationship the photographer establishes with their subject, and so I think I heard something like the the famous Nepalm uh, Vietnam photo. I think that the photographer supported the victim, and if that were true, like that would be also an interesting way to see how you're not just out there taking pictures and living on with your life, you are sometimes a witness to horror and you have to give back in some ways. And I feel like this is where maybe we can find a solution is like having us go beyond the picture and see what we're doing with this picture and how we talk about it. My attempt at anchoring my pictures is learn some basic writing skills so that you can protect these images as best as possible through context. Um, because there's also, I mean, the context is such a, you know, the perspective of an image is there's no way to ensure that there's going to be a certain perspective and read on an image. But the best I've come up with is at least I can really fortify the image with some context, you know, some written word and a really strong caption that's thorough and ideally at least a few paragraphs of text to um, make sure that some facts are are like they're guarding the image.
Maybe that's the way out. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely hard. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Isoke Samuel and Arno Pedron. The music is by Gus Fisher. Special thanks to our guest this week, Avery White, and thanks to Chad Bernhard for helping us with the recording. Subscribe to our SoundCloud by looking up The Bias on SoundCloud, share with your friends, like the episode, and let us know your thoughts. The Bias. The Bias.